All right. Hi, John. <laughs> no, I was going to read the <laughs> intro. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, go uh, ahead. Okay, <laughs> fine. Start over. <laughs> Welcome to episode nine of the Entail podcast. Today, we're going to get into our writing process and how we deal with motivation in relation to deadlines and if it's any different when we're working alone or working with other people. But first, let's uh, talk a little bit about what we've been reading and working on lately. What have you been up to, Jess? So I usually go through this process where I determine a category or something I'm really interested in learning about, and I'll just read a lot about that. But this time, especially because we've been talking about reading to learn and how going to bed reading might not be the best mm, method yeah. for retaining the information. I'm like, let's pick something where I'm still learning, but it's entertaining enough that I'm also going to fall asleep. So I am reading okay. My Kitchen Cure. I didn't do any research on it whatsoever. I just wanted a book that would talk about someone who's been dealing with a lot of issues that, Crohn's disease, something like that, that has uh, okay. learned to heal themselves. And really, I was looking for new recipes that were very mm. healthy and had a lot less sugar. And I figured this is more of the way I've been eating and thinking about things lately when it comes to food. So I found her, and she has a good story about healing herself. So it's been a good read so far. Cool. Okay. How about you? What have you been reading? I started reading this week, The Lean Startup. I don't know. Have you read The Lean Startup? Yes. Okay. So I haven't. I have this list of businessy books that I feel like I need to read or feel like would be useful to read. And I know things like The Lean Startup, so much of their information is discussed in the broader, especially the technology culture, that I probably already picked up on most of it, but it's been high on my list along with like Blue Ocean Strategy mm -hmm. and a few others. But I'm trying to, in this new year, cut through a number of the books that are high on my list in terms of, I think I should prioritize them and right. take a little bit of my attention away from things that I think are super interesting and put it toward things that I think are a little bit more important. So hopefully that will be useful. And considering the number of kind of side projects and collaborations and things that I've been getting myself involved in over the last few months. And the fact that I've always wanted to work completely independently and not deal with any kind of larger company, I think some of the lessons from it would perhaps be valuable. But I've just, I'm only 20 pages in, so we'll see how it goes. No, for sure. They'll be really valuable. And I like how right now we're usually going in the same direction, but you took this direction where you're not going with things that are interesting. You're going with books that you feel will be more valuable. And I'm going with, I just need something that will be interesting and that I can read before bed for now because I read so many business books that I just need to chill out on it a bit. Yeah, no, my my reading is not relaxing reading. It, it's never really been. <laughs> But Mine isn't either, but I'm changing it up. But okay. with other things that I've been working on, I, I think we've discussed this maybe on the show before, but I've begun in the new year trying to learn how to cook better. And since I moved to Ireland six months ago, my girlfriend has cooked a lot and taught me things about how to cook better than I knew before. And so I've been cooking us one meal a week and trying new recipes and trying new techniques and using new ingredients that I've never used before. 
and I intend to do that through the rest of this first quarter and maybe further, depending on how it goes. And it's been educational. I've done some honey sesame seared salmon and this Ooh. sweet potato bacon fry up thing and some what's it called a focchiata some italian type thing with chicken maybe i don't know there's tomatoes and onions and mushrooms and chicken and stuff i don't know i i can't pronounce italian particularly well but i've tried several different things it's gone pretty well thus far i'm i'm excited about it going forward you know nice i knew that was going to be a threat eventually yeah but you hadn't said it explicitly on the show, so that's good yeah, to know. Yeah. And I assumed it was coming, yes. Yeah, and I think you always need to be learning new things, but it's good to push yourself into a new area that doesn't necessarily have immediate huge benefits, but is a little bit interesting, a little bit relaxing, just like you with what you're reading. Like you're still progressing, but you're doing it in a way that doesn't wear you out. And so this allows me to, in the new year... Instead of focusing on just developing hard skills or expanding myself for work, I can focus on expanding myself in another way that's beneficial, but not going to make me want to, you know, jump off a bridge in six <laughs> yeah. months. So it's not yeah. going to burn you out so much because you exactly. got to keep it consistent too. Yeah, and yeah. your girlfriend is a very good cook, so I thought this was coming. <laughs> yeah, it's useful. It's useful. So. I've been writing a lot in the last few months. And I know, obviously, when we first started collaborating, we both wrote a lot. Like, our primary thing was writing articles online when we first were working together. And somehow, despite the fact that we were working on skill development and trying to start a business and working together and primarily writing, I've never really talked to you about how you write. (laughs) Like the process go through? Yeah, we did a little bit, but there were so many other things we were talking about that we were wanting to understand the other's process that we never dug really deep into it. Yeah, and I, I guess I always just, I had a more simplistic view of writing back then where it was just like you write something and then you edit it and then you put it out, <laughs> right? Like that, that, was, that was the whole process. But I've gotten much deeper in my thinking about it over the last while partially because the types of things I've been writing are quite different. Like I'm not writing essays. I'm not writing articles. I'm not writing the kinds of things I would have been writing at university. You know what I mean? Like university or high school, like they prepare you to write shorter, structured, nonfiction articles. Like that's essentially what they teach you to write reports on. What I've been writing more recently are scripts and shorter prose and things like that for other projects that I'm involved with. And it's a very different process for me. And it's made me think about how do I do this? So, I, okay. So just, just to get it out there, what what <laughs> is a writing, describe for me what a writing session is for you. What does it involve? Is there a certain time of day, certain length of time? Well, for me, because I only have certain hours that I can be working after the day job, it's usually from six to like eight or something like that because I want to do it if I'm having a good day when I'm still really fresh kind of fresh because I just worked the day but I don't want to wait until seven or eight I want to do it right after I want to go to a coffee shop or somewhere where there's decent enough internet 
because of mine often includes a lot of research and put on some music that is not too jarring, but also I don't mm. usually do just instrumental. I've heard a lot of good things about it, so maybe I'll try that out at some point. I'm big into instrumental. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I have a lot of friends who are as well, but I usually do some kind of more alternative rock mix okay. that's not too intense, but also gives me some amp so that gives I'm like, a little yes, bit more okay. energy, yeah. Yeah, because I need it at that time. I think if I was doing it in the morning, like sometimes I love like, a good jazz playlist. Yeah, sometimes sometimes I'll go swing music instrumental. But yeah, no, I'm I'm more if I'm writing, it's almost always going to be classical, often classical piano. And I like it almost a little bit repetitive. Like I will listen to not necessarily the same piece over and over again, but I will listen to the same playlist of pieces that I like over and over Agreed. again. So I'll have an hour of music that will just repeat or an hour and a half of music that will just repeat. But, okay, so you often will go to cafes or things. Do you not write at home? Is there a specific kind of place? Like, what do you need in a place to write? It's not that I wouldn't prefer to do it at home. But, one, mm. I don't want to be in my bedroom, and there's not good Wi-Fi in my bedroom. Why don't and you want to be in your bedroom? Is it just associating it with sleep? You don't want to be Yeah, working? exactly. And I, I also don't want to be on my computer that much in my bedroom because then I'm just going to get into the habit too of wanting to get things done or finish up a couple things and I would rather go in there and that be like my relaxation spot but that's okay. just my personal like separating the two and at yeah, home sure. I have roommates there are quite a few people doing different tasks and being loud and all of this yeah. so I just go to a cafe where I know that the only distraction is my hunger and I can mm. figure that out. So Yeah, I completely agree with you that working at home is substandard. In in my situation, I think in large part it's substandard because the type of seating arrangements that I like are not ideal at home. Like I like to be able to write on a desk mm. with a chair that I'm comfortable sitting at for several hours. And my kitchen table doesn't have a chair that I'm comfortable sitting at for several hours and my couch obviously doesn't have a desk and things like that. You know what I mean? Like, so there, there are limitations there, but also I just find working at home, there are certain things that you kind of dive into and I can stay focused on for a very long time. Like if I'm working on audio editing, if I'm working on web design, if I'm working on visual things, if I'm working on animation, something like that, like I can dive into it and just lose three hours into it. If I'm writing, it's much harder to stay focused on it if I'm at home because you can think of just things that you should be doing. And as soon as you get out of the mode, I find myself struggling to get back into it. Yeah. As soon as you get out of the right mindset and the flow of the writing, I find it difficult for, to get myself back in. So I, I, yeah, I generally avoid doing it at home. Yeah, and for me, and I want to know what you think of this too as far as why cafes are so beneficial. Like sometimes I look at a chair and it looks really, really comfy, but I just know that that's not going to be my chair because I'm going to get too comfortable there. But mm -hmm. I love being in a cafe because I'm looking around and even if people are having conversations, some people are on their laptop, like you're part of this atmosphere that's productive in some way. 
you know, everyone's out, everyone's doing something. Whereas if I'm at home, I could easily just get up and say, well, I'm going to get food now or I'm going to do this yeah. and here. I'm just like, I have my mission. That's why I'm here. These people have their mission. That's why they're here. And we're all just going to do our thing. Well, I definitely find it, like, it doesn't have to be cafes for me, but when I'm out at a place and I am at mm -hmm. that place to do something, I find it much easier to just do that because if I'm at home and I have six things I need to do in the next four hours, then there's no obvious reason why I should do one of them before the other. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so if I try to do the writing first or whatever, then I will find myself being distracted and wanting to do the other things. If I'm at a cafe, for instance, and I'm focused on it, then I'm just going to be doing that. Like I'm, I'm not going to get distracted and be like, oh, I should go do some laundry or, oh, I should take a shower or whatever it is. I will just be working on that. I also think cafes are useful and just being out in public is useful. Libraries do pretty well with this as well because mm, you have yeah. just a little bit of ambient noise and you have a little bit of ambient motion. Like you have people walking by, you have people kind of chatting to each other, you have various things going on that I think for some people would be distracting. But for me, it... I don't know how to describe it, but it, it, it almost lets me it like it distracts part of my brain that stops me from being distracted. You know what I mean? Like it distracts the distractible part of my brain and allows me to focus my actual thinking on whatever I'm working on. And it's irrelevant compared to being at home where everything is pertinent to you when you're at a cafe. Like that person's not trying to talk to me, probably, most likely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're just yeah, walking by and I need to be focused either way. So what they're doing doesn't matter. Okay, so when you go to these cafes, how long do you yeah. go for? How long is a writing session? I know you used to be into Pomodoro timers. I think you still kind of are. Is it like a 40-minute writing and then break situation? Is it... To be honest, I don't time myself as much anymore because mm. I found the, the biggest challenge I have with writing is just knowing exactly what my subject is and kind of what we've talked about before with procrastination. As long as I know how to start, and I know the subject and what information I'm going to need, yeah. then I can kind of just get into it for an hour, two hours. And I let myself until I feel I'm at a good stopping point because I'll write and we'll get into this, but I'll write in several sessions to get my one article yeah, of and then course. I'll have an editing session. So I just let myself, I say, okay, I'm going to block off these two hours. And if I'm done i feel like i've gotten it done after one hour then i can leave if i need the two hours i take the two hours okay. how do you think about it i try to pay close attention to my mental state and at a certain point often i will find myself struggling to not necessarily focus but to make good edits on what i'm writing and and we'll get into when i say edits like we'll get into my kind of actual process in a, in a minute but I will often write for an hour and a half to two hours without any sort of break in between there because I do find in a similar way to you that it takes a chunk of time to get into the flow of it. Mm -hmm. And so if I was to try to write for 40 minutes or an hour, I would barely get into the flow for 30 minutes. You know what I mean? Like it would take me 15, 20 minutes to get really started properly. And so I wouldn't stop that quickly. Also, generally I have a pretty long attention span, but if I want to get a lot of writing done and I've worked on this thing for two hours, I will take a break. And what my normal go-to with work and with learning and with everything is that I will try to very much change what I'm working on 
so that my brain is being used in a different way. So I might change from writing, which is really a creative process. It's really putting something out there. It's really very focused. And I might change that to absorbing stuff. So I might switch to reading or I might switch to like audio editing, like because audio editing is a very different kind of mental process. It doesn't require me to really think about what I'm want to say it's not like editing an article or something or editing writing if you're doing audio editing you're just listening to things seeing okay does that make sense does that sound good what do i need to cut out so it's a very different process so often i would just change but if i just really want to keep working on writing what i will often do is i'll take a break and i'll take a walk and i'll go walk for 10 15 minutes and then i'll come back and i'll get back into it because i find that as i'm walking I'm continuing to process what I was writing and what I want to be working on. Exactly. But I'm continuing to process it in a more passive way. And so my brain is kind of recovering and rejuvenating a little bit as it continues to make progress on whatever I was thinking about. And then when I sit back down, I often can have a spurt of progress after that that is effective before stopping 45, 50 minutes after I take that break. So often that's what I will do if I need to, to have a long session. I'll take small breaks when I start to lose the thread or I feel like I'm going to lose the thread. Okay. Jumping back to something you said at the beginning that is you really check where your mental state is. Yes. And I want you to explain that a little bit more because that is something I find often I plan to have a writing session and by the end of the day, if it's been a rough day or something like that, I'm just I'm wiped and my mental state really, I could keep pushing and try to write, but I know I'm not going to be very productive. So that's when I have to weigh, like, do I try to push through or do I do something totally different that's still productive and come make tomorrow a writing session? Like how much do you go off of how you're feeling and your mental state versus how much do you push through it? I think your energy is very important. And there is a certain time of the day where once it gets to that point, I'm not writing after that. You know what I mean? Like I generally am a pretty late night person, Mm -hmm. but since moving to Ireland, I've been going to bed relatively early and trying to get up relatively early to be more productive in the mornings. But once it gets to about 8 PM, I'm not normally going to write after that just because by that point, my ability to focus in extended periods is too degraded and if I can't dedicate an hour and a half to something, I'm probably not going to work on it. And if I can't remain focused for at least an hour, then it's not going to be particularly useful for me to invest that time, is the way I think about it. And this is actually leads me to something that I wanted to ask you about this. You are very much a morning person. <laughs> so it surprises me a little bit that you don't get up before work to write. Those are like your prime hours when you're most alert, you're most awake, Mm-hmm. By the time it gets to like 6 p.m. for you, I imagine you're just all dazed and confused. You know what I mean? Like I can't, I can't imagine you're particularly sharp then as opposed to 7 a.m., which is when I would normally expect you to be most acute. I could not do that. I cannot write early in the morning. <laughs> so when I get up, I get up at 8 a.m. every day. When I get up, I spend two hours working on something else because – that's not going to happen. I'm just not going to be able to write at that point. And then when it gets closer to like 11 or noon, I can get into a writing session. How does that work for you? 
in terms of the timing and energy throughout the day? So this is relevant that you're asking me now because it's something that in the past I wake up and I work out and I make my food and I do, I do my routine, but I have never had time unless I get up way earlier. I've always wanted to dedicate my mornings to those things because those are so important for my energy throughout the day. Yeah. Starting your days right is very important. Yeah, exactly. But I realized the point that you just made about writing in the morning, and it's something I really want to shift to more and more. So I'm going to start doing an every other day workout and an every other day writing. That way I'm not falling behind on them. But I actually, because if I'm going to write, just like you said, I want to dedicate some time to it. I don't want to take a quick 20 minutes and write. You just can't make any progress that way. Yeah, exactly. So... That is one strategy that I'm going to be starting this week, so very relevant. And then the other is I'm a morning person, but I also work well late at night. So as long as it's not to the point where I'm crashing, if I have a bad day, I just won't. I'll know my mental energy is not going to allow me to get into a creative flow. But if I have a really good day and I'm feeling great about life, then I'm like, okay, This is when whatever I was going to do, I need to write because this energy is perfect for writing. Mm. And I'll just write from six to around eight. But I usually don't write much later either because that's when I'm trying to start winding myself down. Okay. Yeah, no, that that makes a lot of sense. In terms of timing throughout the day, the way I often think about it is there are certain things that I really can only do at certain times a day because of my ability to focus and think and have energy. And so those times of the day have to be reserved for those things if I want to do them or else I'm just not going to do those things. And that's part of the beauty of being an independent creator and entrepreneur because I often am thinking, wow, this time is perfect for this, but I have to be doing this. (laughs) But that just adds more constraints to you. You know what I mean? Just like I have to be asleep. That puts a constraint. I can't work on things at 3 a.m. because I'm asleep. That's a constraint that everyone has to deal with. If you have a job, that's just an additional chunk of time that you can't work on your stuff. So you have to figure out with the remaining time, where are your limiting factors? If you can only write effectively in the morning, well, then you can't do other things in the morning. You can work out in the evening if you need to, or you can work out in the afternoon. Like you don't need a huge amount of mental focus. (laughs) No? Okay. For me, it's not a big issue. See, for me, it just makes the whole day, like my energy is so thrown off if I don't. If I right. don't do either that or meditation in the morning, I'm like, that has to be part of at least every other morning. Okay. And I, I can understand that. that That's a limiting factor for you. And for me, yeah. that's not. So it's just less important. But it is important to think about broadly when you can do certain things. Because like we record this show. I'm on another show where I wake up at 6 a.m. to record it. And we often record in my evening, and that's fine. That's perfectly fine for me in the evening. Waking up at 6 a.m., it's a little harder for me. And it's the kind of thing where if you're going to make that decision, you have to accept that. But because of time zone issues around the world, sometimes you're limited with things like that, right? But that brings me to another more particular to writing question. And that is, do you have different kinds of writing sessions? And... This comes to my mind because I now have kind of, as I've been thinking about this, divided my writing sessions into three distinct zones or or actions. And they are research, writing, Mm -hmm. like composition, and editing. 
right? And those are not the same thing for me. And research I can do anytime, pretty much, because it's like reading, essentially. Like I'm reading things, saving articles or making notes in books that are going to be useful for things that I need in the future or that I need to be writing about. But when I'm doing research, I do not write, generally speaking. Like sometimes if I'm writing and I'm like actually composing something, then I will check something if it's a quick thing to check, but I won't really do any kind of significant research while I'm writing. And likewise, while I'm editing, I try not to write very much. So the editing process is largely cutting things down or rearranging things. Mm. I think of it kind of like how we do the show. And the process for the show is you do some research and preparation beforehand. Then you do the recording, which is kind of like writing. Mm-hmm. And after the fact, I do the editing, and then we put it out to the world, right? But when I'm doing the editing, I can't add in more show. Like, I can't really change what I said on the show. That is what it is at that point. I can just cut it down or rearrange it. And so I've tried with my writing to limit it in that way because I find if you're just cutting stuff, it allows you to think about what you're writing differently than if you're actually trying to compose more and lengthen it. Yeah, I've not thought about it in the buckets, but that makes a lot of sense. But I usually will do research, but also as I'm researching, if I get ideas, a lot of times the research for me, it can't be just reading because it will spark so many ideas and so many points that are worth me writing down that I'll just write down, like I'll let myself go on a tangent for a while in my research. And when that tangent's complete, I'll come back to all right, keep going on my research. So it's largely in the research bucket, but I'm actually getting quite a lot of content for my writing. So those sessions are mostly research, but kind of hybrids with writing a bit. And then when I get into writing, it's like, okay, I had my really rough, like my crap drafts copy. And now I'm going into my, let's get a little bit more serious. Let's put in the outline now that we have all the research, now that we have some of our notes in there. And... I'll go through that. It will maybe take me a couple sessions to get that complete. And then it's just the final edit, similar to you, where I try not to write anything extra. I try to just move things around and make sure it flows the way it's supposed to flow. And then I also have kind of a fourth category that is when I'm putting it into my website. I'm going through the search engine optimization process, which now I'm getting to the point where Uh, I know that it's shorter. I know the sentences need to be shorter. I know kind of what they're looking for on transitions to make it better for Mm. Google rankings and everything. But I still have to go through this, making sure I get the SEO green light and the readability green light in my WordPress. Okay. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I've not ever paid very close attention to SEO type things, so... I I mean, now that I'm posting regularly enough, that's becoming more of a thing. But I think it won't be such a process once I get used to writing in a style that fits it more. Or once I either say, I don't really care about this for this one because this sentence needs to be this long or deciding the in-between. Right. It's it's like learning how to use Twitter properly, right? You have these constraints placed upon you. And once you figure out how to write in that way, you can create tweets that are effective. You can't do that until you learn that, and it, it then becomes automatic. Yep, exactly. I, I understand that completely. Yeah, I will say that when I'm doing research, it's not 
purely saving things, there's some note taking involved, right? Like when I save an article, I'll generally save it to Evernote and I will save it with a title and with tags that refer to it and notes with even within it that refer to why it's useful, what I want to get out of it or what I want to use it for. Like it's not like I just save it and then I have to go back through and read everything in order to find out why it's useful. But I'm not really writing the whole article or whatever it is. Yeah, because you don't have your background at that point to put all your thoughts together into one concise. Yes, absolutely. You're still forming them, yeah. yeah. So, okay, with you, after you do your research and you write your little tangential things that you were talking about, how often do you put together a structure to what you're writing before you actually write it? And how often, like, do you just write it and see where it takes you? After you do your research, or do you have a, I'm going to talk about this, I'm going to talk about this, I'm going to talk about this, and then you fill in the paragraphs as you go? I used to just let myself freeform write and not worry about an outline whatsoever. And I hmm. realized I'm a lot more effective if once I get through the research and all the tangential uh, topics that I like to know, it's more effective for me to just put in, doesn't have to be an intense outline and I don't need to follow it, but what am I thinking of the introduction and what is it flowing into and what what do we want to leave the reader with? Like, what is the value yeah. of the article and okay. what is the overall point of this article too? Making sure I have that in the outline and have the flow down. And then I refer to it somewhat and I don't always follow it, but I at least get all my thoughts of what needs to be in this article down. Okay, that makes sense. I don't do that so much like i'll have an idea about some of the major things i might want to discuss in a script or something but i don't really flush it out until i'm writing and often as i'm writing it changes course dramatically because when i'm actually flushing it out i find that oh i don't actually have as much to say about that as i thought i did like it's a really important point or a really important part of what i'm trying to say but it's doesn't take as long to say it as I thought it would. And some things take much, much longer. I end up doing that too, but I end up doing it in, if I have a topic, I'll end up with different, and I'm using Google Docs for a lot of my writing. So I'll end up with different docs where I'll go on a topic for a while and I'll realize I don't have a lot to say about this topic. And so I'll just kind of leave it, and eventually I'll use some of that content to populate another article. But I still am Mm. glad I got it out there. But once I've made the outline, I know that there's enough because I've gone through the research and I have enough thoughts there. But yeah, And I I think you also think about some of your articles more than I do before I write them. I kind of just sit down and I'm like, all right, now I'm going to try this. And then that's where the multiple Google Docs comes in because I I haven't thought through enough to know if there's enough information there. Yeah, that's probably true i think when i start something (laughs) but like when i start something i know that it will be a thing you know what i mean like i don't i don't start something if i'm not sure that there's a substantial enough topic there or issue to be dealt with to justify whatever i'm writing it's rare that i would start something and then be like well actually no no i didn't have very much to say about that and it's just like not gonna be a thing sometimes i won't finish a thing that i'm working on or I will deprioritize it, but it's it's not like it's because there's not enough there. It's just because I didn't write it as well or it didn't come together in the way that I wanted it to. Yeah, mine often goes a different direction, and then I just 
take those paragraphs and add it somewhere else and it becomes either another thing or I can use it in a different article. That actually leads me to another thing because you were mentioning that you used Google Docs a lot. Is that your primary writing software? Do you primarily write in Google Docs? Yeah, I primarily do most of my writing and other things in Google Docs. The company I work for also uses Google Drive for everything. So now I'm just very accustomed to using that format and well and of course we use google drive for all of our collaborations so. right okay that, so, make, that makes sense so do you use that for editing as well as writing yes at, i mean okay. at this point the only aspect of writing that i'm really still trying to hone in on is i'll often write offline on airplanes okay. or wh- wherever those are the best times for me to write yeah. So I'm just working on making sure I have version control going because I'll use yeah. just a Word document and then I need to make sure it's uploaded. I need to make sure... Because that's what I was going to ask you. So you keep drafts, right? You keep versions. Mm-hmm. So how do you do that? Because for me, generally speaking, I will compose something and then I will go through several other iterations of it. I will go through several edits. I will often write something, edit it down, write more, edit it down, write more, edit it down. That's the process that I often go for. And through each one of those writing and editing sessions, I will keep whatever I ended up with. And that will be whatever draft I'm on. And I use the incredibly inadequate software of OneNote for this, which I know is a silly thing to even say. But I don't like Word documents at all. I, I don't like using Word, and I don't love using Google Docs because, like you said, the offline thing. Also, just like OneNote is really easy to use on a tablet and on a phone and things. So if I want to put in a little note or I think about something and I want to add it as I'm walking or like, I, I won't write that way and I won't really edit that way, but often it's useful to put in a little context or a little thought or a little reminder in a script or in a article or something when I'm not in a position to actually get on my laptop and do something. Also, I find going through the actual edits on a laptop deeply unsatisfying. Oh, you print it out? I want to print it out. I always have the <laughs> urge to print it out, and I don't generally do that. I think it would be ideal if I had a good tablet and a good stylus that I could use for this, for editing mm-hmm. things down, but... I don't have that right now, and I don't really want to spend the money to get that. So I'm generally just editing on my laptop in a way that I find <laughs> unsatisfactory. I agree with I you. I think when, I, when I'm using my laptop and I'm using a word processor on my laptop, I always have the urge to write when I'm trying to edit. Yes, that's what I was I always say. have the urge to replace <laughs> things and add on and expand it, and that's not what I'm trying to do in that moment. And it's much easier to not do that if I'm using a different piece of software on like a tablet or with written papers and I can just be crossing things out and maybe changing a word here and there. But like generally, I'm not adding whole paragraphs. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I know people who are very pro computer on everything and want to keep themselves paperless and all of that jazz would probably argue that we're not very effective if we have to print it out and do our edits and then make sure they come back to the laptop, which I understand that, but I think I might have to try that. I haven't had a printer in the past when we were working on things. I just often didn't have one, so I never thought about it. Of course, when you're traveling and you're working on farms. (laughs) 
Yeah, exactly. There's really like electricity is hard to find, let alone a printer. So yeah, yeah. Maybe I will try that at some point. I think it's useful the only to go downside through. Is the efficiency you'll lose on going back, like putting it back into your document. Yeah. Well, and then the other problem is it just adds so much friction and time and energy and even expense. Like, I don't know if you would be able to print at work, but like, if you can't print at work and you have the additional expense of actually printing things, which if you're doing it regularly, you know, it adds a bit of expense. So I really think a tablet is an ideal solution to that. But yeah, I, I don't, I don't have that. And I'm not able to do that at this point, which annoys me somewhat. Yeah. Something about Google Docs that I like is that if I did want to have someone review something before I mm. post it, I don't know how OneNote works. I've never used OneNote truthfully, but Google Docs, I can just easily share something. They can put in notes and yeah. I like that I can see the versions in it and I can see what happened and how things moved. I would not advise you to use OneNote. I would not advise anyone to use OneNote. <laughs> okay. OneNote is useful for certain things. It is not useful for long-form writing. Which is what I'm doing most of the time, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, and I've looked at using various markdown editors and things, and I think some of them are more useful than others. But generally speaking, I find them unsatisfactory as well. So, so there's there's just a lot of stuff that I'm not happy with, with the way that I go about writing in terms of software, but it's a work in progress, I suppose. Oh yeah. It's constantly evolving for me as well. On a slightly different note, how do you deal with giving yourself deadlines? Not just with writing, but to broaden it out a little bit, how do you deal with giving yourself deadlines with everything you do on side projects? This is something that is also an evolution, but the best process I have found has been to, like we talked about, I think on last episode when we were talking a bit about procrastination and things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If I'm able to do a weekly review or know what my themes are for the month in terms of the projects I'm working on and then boil it back down to the week, and then just be able to carve out that time on the calendar if I know exactly what I need to be working on and also if I can talk to someone else because I find personally I'm not the greatest at being accountable to just myself but if someone else is on the line it's always much easier to push yourself and be motivated if you have somebody waiting for you to do something exactly yeah. and but the challenge comes with your writing for my project I'm writing blog posts that are really just for my project. And so yeah. what I've been doing is I know some people who also are working on side projects and we'll do power hours or we'll do accountability check-ins or I'm on some masterminds so that I have okay. to have these goals and I have to tell them by next call, I have to have done this and this. And if I haven't, like there's a consequence or we can put in consequences or hmm. I just let them down, which also isn't great. I don't like telling them that I didn't do what I was going to do because I yeah. suck at life, you know? <laughs> that is the worst. I've done that far too many times, and it is the worst. So it, it's still a work in progress on how to deliver on what I'm setting deadlines for. But for the most part, hmm. as long as I can get to the point of setting a deadline and saying this is a priority that I know where to start, and then it's pretty easy to put in that accountability and say, okay, I know what I need to do, so I'm just going to get someone to help me and yeah. work on it. What about you? How do you set them? I generally avoid deadlines if I can. <laughs> because 
my natural go-to is to make something habitual. So like with the show, we've made it a weekly thing. I don't feel like there's deadlines as much as this is just what I do every week. Right. It's a one-off project. It's a repetitive action. And that's the way I've always done everything. I've always automatically gone toward, let's make this a habit. Let's make this something that I do all the time. Because when I think about problem solving in my life and coming up with something that I want to change in my life, my immediate go-to is, if I'm going to make a change, it should be something permanent. Now, obviously, there are one-off projects, and so that's not necessarily a good solution. And I have found over the years that setting deadlines really helps to motivate me, even if it's just an arbitrary deadline and even if it's just for myself. Having it be on my mind that I'm supposed to get this thing done within the next week helps me to bump it up on my priority list, right? Because if I have a number of things laid out that I want to do this quarter and I don't have anything more specific than that, then when I'm setting priorities for every week, it's it's like I'll put the things that are most interesting or that I think are most urgent or something like that as my priorities for the week. But if I have set additional deadlines for specific projects and like let's say I'm working on just arbitrarily, let's just say I'm going to work on an article for a blog or something, right? And I say, okay, I want it to be out by the end of February. Well, that means I need to have edited and finished by a week before it goes out. And I need to have it first draft written two weeks before that. Like it it backs you up to when you have certain deadlines. And that I can find motivating because I know that I'll just blow past something if I don't have that. So I find deadlines useful for motivating myself, but I still generally avoid them because (laughs) oftentimes they are just so arbitrary. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, that, that's a great point. And I think what I've always found useful is to build regularity. And I think when you're talking about producing things for work, if it's a regular thing, then the people that you're making it for will expect it. And if it's not a regular thing, then they're not going to expect it. And so having a deadline doesn't necessarily matter. And as long as you're working on something that's productive and moving you forward... I don't think it's necessarily as important. Now, when you're working with people, that's a completely different thing because you run into issues that if you don't set deadlines for specific actions when you're working with someone, that suddenly no one will do it and then it just won't get done. And then you'll find yourself in a collaboration two months later and no one will have done the things that you needed to get done and no one knows why no one did it and then things didn't happen. And that's the worst possible situation because you don't think it's your responsibility. They don't think it's their responsibility. It was never clearly laid down and you didn't have a clear date that it needed to be done by. So you allowed this problem to just linger. So I think it can be important in that situation. Before we jump into the group one, going back to what we were talking about with personal deadlines, I think that you made a great point. You don't always have to set deadlines because it becomes habitual. And I found that even with my current work, it used to be There was so much work, it felt like, and now things are just habitual, and my work has really decreased as far as how much I feel like I have to do, because I'm just in the flow of things. But when you're first starting out, that's where the deadline for me is really crucial, because if I'm just starting out blogging, before I'm in the swing of blogging every single week, I need to know that like every Tuesday I need to be getting something out. And if I don't plan that back like you were just talking about, then 
I'm suddenly going to have this pressure, and that's also where it becomes arbitrary, because I have this pressure, but you don't really have to post it today. It would be nice, but it, you're just accountable to yourself, so you don't actually have to. You're making yeah. it a bigger thing than it necessarily needs to be. Yeah, if it's stressing you out and disrupting other things in your life, it's not necessarily a good call. That being said, when you do something, like to piggyback on what you just said, when you do something repeatedly and you have done it repeatedly, not only does it become habitual, but you start to have a better understanding about how much time you have to allocate in order to get it done. And that's what I find really useful. Because instead of setting a deadline for something, if I know roughly how long it will take me to do it, then I can just allocate a certain amount of time toward doing it. This is harder with things like writing, like we were talking about earlier, but it's very clear with something like audio editing, right? So I edit down this show, and then we publish this show. And that process of editing it, since I track how much time it takes every week, I know roughly how long it will take. So if I allocate that time during the week for me to do it, I'll know that I'll get it done. So I don't necessarily need a deadline on it because I know how much time I've given to it, and I know that that is enough time to get it done, barring some catastrophe that happens, like my computer blows up. And so that's often how I will handle that sort of thing. And you're right, like having things become kind of automatic and knowing Monday morning I work on this, like I monitor the statistics for our website and for our podcast on Friday, and I scrape all the statistics, I analyze them, I see what happened, try to figure out a little bit why, and that's just a thing that I do every Friday. And when you get used to doing it repeatedly, it gets much easier than setting random deadlines for yourself. Even with that being said, I think the process of goal setting for the year, for the quarter, for the month, in the way that you do it, I think that that helps to obviate the need for specific one-off deadlines for projects because it gives you the context to understand where you are on certain things. Like last year when we were starting this podcast... I had in my head already laid down going through the third quarter and going into the fourth quarter when I thought we should start, whether or not we were ahead or behind of what I expected, and when I wanted things to happen. And as we were going through that process, I had these, not deadlines, because see, my, my problem with deadlines is they're so harsh to me. Like, I like to have an ideal plan and then a fallback, like a minimal acceptable plan and then an ideal plan, right? Yeah. For instance, our first show went out on December 12th, 2017. I wanted it to go out December 1st. <laughs> it didn't go out December 1st. That was the ideal time. It was supposed to go out December 1st. It did not. So we missed the ideal mark, but the worst acceptable scenario was that it went out on the 1st of January a month later at the beginning of the year so mm -hmm. between those two is this range of what is acceptable and i think for almost everything in life you're trying to push toward what you want but mm -hmm. you almost always have to accept something worse than that like i want to work out every day and i don't work out every day but i have this kind of minimal level of which i feel like i can work out and not be a complete total lazy failure and right those standards you are still have the intention which is a big part of it right well and, and it's also like when you see your behavior over a long period of time 
you can nudge yourself, but you can't just radically change your behavior on a whim. And so like when we're starting something like a podcast that you're trying to do every week, you're trying to record, you're trying to edit, you're trying to publish every week, there is a learning curve there and it gradually takes less time. But to change your behavior that radically, that quickly, and make these things that were one-off, difficult, unusual things into regular, normal things, it takes time and it takes repeated pushing at it and failing, pushing at it, failing, pushing at it, failing, and then suddenly it starts to be successful every once in a while, and then you're consistently successful, and then it's just the thing that's a part of your life and you do all the time. And it is a process that is discouraging and fraught with what feels like failure, but it's just a process that you have to go through all the time. Yeah, here's here's my quick antidote on my failure that just happened that ties anecdote? into all of this. My story, my little mini story. Anecdote. You said antidote. Did I? Okay, well. <laughs> it's fine, it's fine, yes. Okay, here's your story, yes. Sometimes I'm a failure too, okay, John? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Last week, I planned on publishing a blog article by Tuesday. I did do the, okay, it's going to take me this much time to edit and this much, the backwards planning in terms of when to publish it. But things just didn't work out in terms of me figuring out what, to write about and what made the most sense. And I was also thinking in a broader branding, what is relevant for my blog next? Yeah. And because of all of this, I put this pressure on this deadline and I just didn't hit it. And I saw that coming, but I also was stressed about the fact that I had been publishing consistently and now I was about to not hit it. And I think that comes from I want to make sure I get into this repetitive action. I want to make sure that it becomes habitual enough that I don't no longer publish. Yeah. So yeah. I've I've since I'm already as we're recording this, you've been talking about this, but I'm adopting more of that mindset of you need to have the fallback because I'm going in a slightly different direction with how I think about categorizing my posts from here on out. Yeah. And so now okay. I'm fine with okay, halfway through February is when I'm now gonna do it. But it was this stressful occurrence and it was our, it was an arbitrary deadline. It was a deadline I set for myself that didn't really matter, and it put undue stress on myself. So I would caution anyone else to think about that when they're thinking through deadlines for themselves and how to hold themselves accountable. Yeah, absolutely. And it's all about understanding what is real and understanding what is the true priority. Mm -hmm. If you're trying to publish because you want to publish regularly and that's your priority, well, why is that your priority? Is your priority to do that or is your priority to produce good content? Why are these your priorities? Thinking through all of that allows you to de-stress, mm -hmm. right? Because the reason why you wanted to publish it, it's because you built it up in your mind as I have to get it out. It's not because I'm you in this right did. or wrong and it doesn't have exactly. to be this yeah. way. And then I realized the good content is more important. Yeah, there are trade-offs with all of these things. If you want to be BuzzFeed and publish a new article every three minutes, you're going to have worse articles. That's how that works. <laughs> you know, that's, that's just a given. Touche. <laughs> but yeah, that's all I had. Do you want to wrap this one up? Sure. We okay. We didn't get into any of the collaboration. I figure we'll do that another time. Okay. I want to talk about collaboration more at length than we have time for at this point. Yeah. Writing was a big topic. Exactly. Yeah. Let's get into that another time. All right, guys. If you've listened this far, hopefully you are enjoying the show. Please 
if you know any writers, you know anybody who you think might benefit from listening to the show, go ahead and share it with them. That's the best way that you can help us help you more. You can always find our show notes at subjectradio.com slash NTL slash 009. And that's all I have. Do you have anything to say, Jess? That's it. We'll see you next week. All right. I'll see you next week. Have a good one.